0: Take your Bibles out this morning as we return to our series on the book of Judges. I want us to look this morning at the tragedy of a life of compromise. You'll notice the scripture passage this morning, chapters 13 through 16. Uh, I saw Richie Davis this morning in the early service. I said, Richie, normally... You're in the late service, but today you're in the early service. He said, yeah, I saw the sermon was going to cover four chapters today, so I figured I'd better get an early start. So uh, good news for you, though, I will not be reading every verse of these four chapters, though there would certainly be nothing wrong with that. We could use it, but uh, we'll be reading portions of chapter, uh, chapters 13 and 14 now. And then portions of chapter 16 later in the uh, message actually will not be reading any passages of, of chapter 15 at all. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son." No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, down to verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahana uh, Dan between Zorah and Eshtail. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to, to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother. And in the very same Hebrew words that's used in Genesis 3 when Eve gave to Adam and he ate. It says he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you've told us in your word that we are to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, and that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Your word tells us that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so in response to so great a salvation, the Bible says that we are to live as sojourners and pilgrims. That we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war Against the soul. And we're to keep our conduct among the unbelievers honorable. So that when they look at us and see our lives, that they will give glory to you and you alone. Father, how true, I pray, that would be of our lives. that As people look at us, that they would see Christ. As we tell them the story of redemption... That they would see it in action in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago I I ran across the true story of a woman known to all of her neighbors as Garbage Mary. Garbage Mary lived in a small town in the state of Florida... Every day she would be seen dressed in her rags and walking about the streets. Everybody thought she was a bag lady, a homeless bag lady. And she would be scavenging through the garbage looking for food and other valuable items. She was a recluse, seemed to have no friends. A hand-to-mouth existence every day just getting whatever she could out of the trash. And so it was very logical that everybody believed that Garbage Mary was truly a destitute and poverty-stricken woman. Well, because of her peculiar ways, they also thought she was a bit crazy. Finally, Garbage Mary was picked up by the police and confined to a psychiatric institution. When the court officials went to her home to collect, they discovered she had a home. And when they went inside of her home to collect some of her valuables and personal items, they were absolutely amazed at what they found. There there was loads of cash everywhere. Not only cash, but all kinds of records of bank books and stock securities and oil drilling rights and real estate assets. Come to find out... Garbage Mary was in fact a multi multi millionaire Here was a rich woman she was scavenging as a homeless person through the trash Folks Garbage Mary is the story of neglected resources Now I know we find her story tragic and indeed it is But in spiritual ways perhaps too many of us are just like her Maybe our life is a story of neglected resources. Well, today we're going to look at a man who lived his life that way. Now, believe it or not, he's actually one of the heroes of the Bible. Every day in his life was a day to see if the flesh would win or if the spirit would win. His life's a perfect illustration of the fact that the New Testament says that the flesh wages war against the spirit, and the spirit wages war against the flesh. Again, that's the way this man is whom we meet in our text today. His name is Samson, and his story is recorded in Judges 13 uh, to 16. One of the longest narratives that we see in the entire, perhaps the longest narrative of any of the judges that we see... In in the book of of Judges Now let's set the table today before we get started As we get into the narrative it's like the the needle on the record player is stuck at verse 1 Remember those old record players? Probably some young people here today don't even know what one of those is but that needle would just kind of get stuck in that same place. And as verse 1 opens up, it's like the needle is stuck again. God's people are caught in sin. So what God do? Well, you continue on in verse 1. And so what we've seen so oftentimes before the book of Judges, He handed them over uh, to their enemies. And that's what God did this time with the Philistines. The Philistines had already appeared briefly in chapter 3 during the judgeship of a man by the name of Shamgar. But during Samson's life, the Philistines became public enemy number one. Now, they'd been forced out of their homeland in the area of Greece and the Aegean Sea. They'd set out by sea to look for a new home. And around 1200 BC, a force of sea people whom historians believe was the Philistines, they went up against Egypt and attacked Egypt. Egypt defeated them and sent them packing on their way. And they moved up along the coastline of the Mediterranean and they they landed around the southern coastal plain of Palestine. And by Samson's time, they had established themselves firmly in five main cities. Those five cities that we'll read about later today were, were Gaza, or Gaza, uh, Ashdon, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Gath. Now the Philistines had learned to smelt iron. And with their iron weapons, they could have easily overrun Israel by direct attack, but they didn't do this. Rather than marching against Israel... They traded with Israel. They intermarried their sons and daughters with the sons and daughters of Israel. If the Israelites wanted a plow or they wanted an axe, they would go to the Philistines to buy one. If they wanted to find uh, daughters-in-law and sons-in-law to marry their children, they would go to the Philistines oftentimes and find one. Now, as a result of all this, the Philistines were gaining a stranglehold on the Israelites. Israel was not being dominated by an outside power, but they were being corrupted by an inside influence. Well, added to that, we see the apathy of Israel. Sometimes, you know, there's a powerful message in silence. Everywhere else in the book of Judges, we read that when Israel was oppressed, they would cry out to God for a deliverer and God would send them one. This time God is going to send them a deliverer anyway, but they're not crying out for a deliverer. They seem to be perfectly content to live under the rule of the Philistines. In fact, later on in the narrative, they're even going to turn Uh, uh, The Israelite soldiers are even going to turn Samson into the Philistines And hand him over to the enemy And that's what they do Well this has led one writer to speculate That is why Samson does not appear as a national deliverer Because there's no national repentance Instead Samson is the only judge that we read of Who is An individual uh, individual warrior acting on his own and really living the life of a loner in many ways. What we're going to see today, though, is the tragedy of a life of compromise. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in the Bible more gifted than Samson, more blessed than Samson, and yet he squandered his life away because he was so careless and so undisciplined. I think if anything, the life of Samson stands as a warning sign to you and me today that giftedness alone is not enough. We need to live disciplined lives and lives of self-control. Now the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning from chapter 13 is a blessed life. Samson had a blessed life. We see immediately that his birth was ordained by God. God raised him up. God's hand was on Samson from the the womb. God set Samson apart all of his days. He was to live a life of holiness, a life of, of separation, a life of consecration, and a life of service. And as such, he would would have a great impact on his people. In fact, the end of verse 5 says, God raised up Samson. God was going to begin delivering the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines through Samson. And so here's this man blessed of God, ordained by God, set apart by God, and God was going to use him in tremendous ways. He was blessed with godly parents. That's clear from the narrative. They're God-fearing people. He was anointed of the Holy Spirit. God gave Samson his strength. God enabled him to stand alone. In in chapter 13 verse 25 we see God is the one who came upon Samson and, and gave him his strength through the Spirit of God. God allowed Samson to accomplish amazing feats of strength. Now, folks, all in all, in the Bible, I think we could say that seldom do we see a child with any more potential than Samson had. But let's think about some parallels with us. We know that, likewise, God has a wonderful plan with us. Jeremiah 1, God told the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In Jeremiah 29, God said to Israel, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and and not for evil. Folks, life is no accident, life is a gift from God. Man was created in the image of God and each of us has a special place in God's economy. Secondly, we could say God wants us saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 says God uh, God desires all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says God's not slack concerning His promise. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. God wants us to know Him. God fills us with His Holy Spirit when we come to know Him. Ephesians 1 says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're to be a holy people, 1 Peter 1 says that we're to be holy as God is holy. And we also see a parallel that God gives us everything we need. On top of blessing us with the presence of His Spirit, He gives us all the gifts that we need to carry about His work. And so I think it would be very fair to say that just like Samson, we've got a lot going for us. God has indeed been good to each and every one of us and we ought to give God the glory. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. From the Father of Lights, We're blessed. Samson led a blessed life early on. But secondly from chapter 14 I want you to see that he had a troubled life. Uh, Beginning there and right away in verse 1 we see that he conducted himself with a life of disobedience and rebellion. Verse 1 says he went down to Timnah and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now they had been told earlier in the Bible all the way back in Deuteronomy 7 that they were not to marry unbelievers from the nations around them because these unbelievers would be a snare to them. They would lead them away from God into a life of idolatry and compromise. And so we see that Samson is acting contrary to the law of God. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that regardless of what Samson might have told you, Samson had very little regard for the authority of God's word in his life. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul said to Timothy that God gives us his word that we might understand the way of salvation. Folks... It's a good thing God reveals himself to us because if God didn't reveal himself to us we would have no way of knowing him. He reveals himself to us not just through natural revelation but through special revelation. And in that special revelation, He's given us His Word. And in the Word, we come to understand about our sin nature and our human depravity and our, and our need of a Savior. And we learn about Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in 2 Timothy 3 to say, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for correction. for for teaching, for instruction, for training in righteousness that the man of of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the Bible plainly tells us that we are to live under the authority and the instruction of God's Word and we need to have a great respect for the Word of God in our lives. How sad that so many don't. So many spend very little, if any time, every day in the Word of God. Some people read uh, the newspaper more every day than they spend time reading the Word of God. What a shame. What's that reveal about God's people? Folks, what's that reveal about us? If God's given us His love letter and we don't even ever turn to it. Reminds me of the, the churchman one time on one occasion who was always trying to witness to his atheist friend at work and the atheist friend would never go to church with him and finally the atheist man said to this gentleman said hey i understand your church has a men's softball group i'll tell you what i'll do i'll hang out with the guys at your church and and i'll play softball with them and and then i'll i'll just kind of see about church after that well at the end of the softball season the the Churchman said, you gonna go to church with me? He said, no, I don't think so. He said, why not? He said, because I've hung out with your guys from church. I've listened to the way they think and talk and what they act and what they do. And he said, come come to, come to mention it. He said, they're no different from the atheist friends I hang out with. What do I need that for? So sad to say, here was a group of churchmen who said they would believe in the authority of God's Word, but their lives didn't show it. Folks, I think that would be a picture of Samson. Samson might have told us he had a respect for the authority of God's Word in his life, but obviously he didn't, and his life showed that. Well I want you to notice also on top of a life of disobedience and rebellion uh, he lived a life of lust. He sees this girl from Timnah, she must have been a very beautiful girl because without even knowing anything about her character at all he wanted her to be his wife. She looked pleasing to his eyes and that was good enough for him. He saw her, he wanted her. Now at this point we've got to admit that the life of Samson parallels Israel. You'll remember that phrase that happened over and over again in the book of Judges. It says there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And so essentially God is raising up a judge for them who's just like them. God's not given them who they really need. He's given them who they deserve. They've compromised. They've made deals themselves with the Philistines. They've let their own nation be governed by lust. And so, at this point in the narrative, the, the parallels between Samson and Israel are quite striking. In verse 3, we see also about his troubled life that he he obviously lived a life of disrespect for his parents. In in verse 3, his father and mother said to him, "Uh, Samson, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go and, and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? What's the Ten Commandments say? What's the Word of God say? That we're to honor our parents. That we're to show respect for our parents and obey them. And they're saying, whoa, Samson, you need to put the brakes on what you're about to do here. And Samson simply responds by saying, Dad, I said get her for me. She's the one I want. That tells me Samson, according to the biblical definition, is a fool. Because the Bible says a fool despises correction. Well, not only a life of lust and a life of disrespect for his parents, but but beginning in verse 5 we see a life of compromise. He's ignoring just about every single aspect of his Nazarite vow. He turned aside to Timnah. Verse 5 says they turned towards the vineyards of Timnah. He was supposed to stay clear of the fruit of the vine. Then in verse 8, he turned aside to see the carcass of this lion that he had killed. Again, as a Nazarite, he was supposed to stay away from the dead body of anything, but he's even eating honey out of a dead carcass. And he's going ahead with the marriage. In chapter 16, he's even, we're going to see there that he, he even goes into a prostitute and, and has sexual relationships with her. I guess if Samson were alive today, he could get a job with the U.S. Secret Service, the presidential detail. He has relations with another Philistine woman, Delilah. In the end, his life was destroyed. He has his eyes gouged out. He's in bondage to the Philistines and he dies as a prisoner. Yes, God gave him one more victory, but folks, he died prematurely. What a a troubled and a a tragic life. Samson reminds me so much of that illustration I opened up with about Garbage Mary. Samson had all this God-given potential and resources, and yet he squandered it all away. He lived a very troubled life despite the blessings of God. Well, thirdly, I want you to see a failed life. Chapter 16, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his uh, shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your secret strength lies and how you might be bound, and that one could subdue you. Well, we know that she keeps on and on and on. And finally, over in verse, uh, before verse 18, he tells her everything. Verse 18 says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up here, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistine seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to uh, Gaza and and bound him with bronze shackles and he, he ground at the meal in the prison but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered all for a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice and say our god has given Samson into our hand our enemy, our enemy into our hand and when the people saw him they praised their god for they said our god has given our enemy into our hand the ravager of our country who has killed many of us And when their hearts were merry they said call Samson that he may entertain us so they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them They made him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them Now the house was full of men and women all the lords of the Philistines were there And on the roof there were about three thousand men and women who looked on while Samson entertained Then Samson called to the Lord and said O Lord God please remember me And please strengthen me only this once O God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. The Bible talks about the importance of finishing well. But folks, we see exactly the opposite with Samson. He started well with God's blessings but... Uh, But through temptation and sin, Samson finished very poorly. After this relationship with a prostitute, we we are introduced to Delilah in verse 4. We know very little about Delilah. All we really know about her is that she was sexually attracted to to Samson. He entered into an affair with her. Now again, remember the Philistines had five major cities and each of these cities would have been ruled by a tyrant and so these tyrants or leaders, they come to Delilah with a proposal. They were convinced there had to be a secret to Samson's strength. After all, even typical strong men could not do the amazing things that Samson had done and so they thought there must be a secret. I'm sure in their thinking they thought there must be some kind of magical power behind what all he's doing. And Delilah, we're going to pay you and you need to to seduce him and find out. Just wear him down, nag him to death and wear him down until he finally tells you and we find out the secret of his strength. And so they each offered Delilah 1,100 pieces of silver. About $5,000 in today's monetary figures. So back then, Delilah would have ended up a very wealthy lady. Folks, of course we can blame Delilah for what happened, but we have to blame Samson even more because, after all, Delilah was a pagan woman. Samson was supposed to be a man of God, and yet he lived such a failed life. Where did this all begin? Well, first of all, Samson was involved in moral compromise. Had he never been involved with this woman, all of this would not have happened. Now, folks, in Samson's life, the moral compromise should have been so obvious. I realize today in many people's lives it's more subtle than that. But you know what? If we we sense that there are beginning to be little moral compromises in our life, you know what we need to do? We need to stop right then and there. We need to recognize it. I can't tell you the number of people I've counseled with as a pastor before. That they that they let the door creak open to Satan's activity and they got involved in things and even moral compromises and they thought everything was going to be okay and everything was just going to be their little secret and they were going to do this or that and they sit before me in my office and they're broken and they're crying and all of their life has come crashing in because of moral compromises not only did he live a life of moral compromise but we see also that temptation came to Samson in a very attractive way who did the Philistines hire? they hired a beauty queen again at least from what we would assume by him uh, he seemed to be attract didn't matter the character of a woman or or whether God was in it or not if, if if she looked good enough to his eyes, boy, he desired her. And so we would assume Delilah was probably a beauty queen too. Folks, that's how temptation comes to us. Satan doesn't send temptation to us in a ugly package that we know is just immediately destructive he entices us in some area where where we're tempted in and and, and he brings just the right uh, temptation and he makes it look so good and so pleasing somebody wrote on one occasion said Satan takes the poison puts it in a medium rare ribeye steak and invites us out to dinner that's how he operates. Samson chose the wrong company. There, there's nothing that shapes our character more than the people that we hang out with. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. We teach our kids to say no to bad things, but peer pressure is a very powerful thing. If they choose the wrong kinds of friends and put themselves in bad situations with those bad friends, saying no ends up being very difficult. And so we all need to examine our friendships very closely. Folks, it's not that we don't hang out with unbelievers. We hang out with them, though, to be a witness to them but but we don't hang out with we don't prefer them over fellowship with God's people no wonder the bible tells christians that we're to love the assembling of ourselves together we're to love to hang out with our brothers and sisters in christ cuz we're to pray for one another and encourage one another and help one another out in our walk with the lord if we're always buddying up to the 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 wrong crowd we need to examine ourselves The funny thing about Samson, you see, he's not hanging out with the Israelites. Every time we read about Samson and he's running off somewhere, he's partying it up with the Philistines. They were his friends of choice. Should have been a warning sign. Samson foolishly told Delilah everything. How could a man be so foolish? Evidently, he was so confident in himself, he thought he was above a fall. Samson had experienced so many victories in his life, he thought he was above anything bad happening to him. Folks, that shows a dangerous pride. When pride takes over to that degree, we're sure to be headed toward failure. Sin finally got the better of Samson. It toyed with temptation all his life. Finally it catches up with him. He loses his sight. The very thing that had gotten him in trouble with these women to begin with, he becomes a slave to the Philistines. And like the donkey bone that he had once taken and killed all those people with, the Philistines have now made him like a donkey treading out grain. He had burned all their grain and now he's treading out grain. He's reaped what he had sown all his life. Let me give you some life lessons in closing. First of all, I want you to understand the boundaries and safeguards in God's word need to be taken very seriously. Folks, they're there for our own good. Think of how different Samson's life could have been had Samson had respect for God's word... And all of those boundaries that God's word put in place around his life, think of what a different life Samson could have ended up living and all the good that he could have done. But he didn't appreciate these boundaries. Again, I know people today, all these boundaries in the Word of God, they just kind of throw caution to the wind and they ignore them and then their lives end up later on, years later, just a broken mess. Had they respected some of those boundaries, they could have saved themselves a whole lot of pain. A second life lesson, you can't toy with temptation. James 1 says, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin's accomplished, it brings forth death. You can't play with temptation. Now folks, it is not a sin to be tempted. Do you realize that? Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself was tempted but without sin. It's not a sin to be tempted, it's just a sin to give in to the temptation. As somebody wisely said on one occasion, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can surely keep them from nesting in your hair. Amen? You can't toy with temptation. Thirdly, the Christian walk's got to be guarded. The Christian life is one of self-control. It takes discipline. You and I need to separate ourselves for that which is is holy. Separate ourselves away from that which is unholy. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has an unbeliever in common with a, a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we're the temple of the living God. Just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, therefore come out from their midst and be separate. Christian life's got to be guarded. It takes discipline. What could God do in your life if perhaps there was more discipline and self-control? A last life lesson here. The outcome of a life of compromise and sin is often far worse than we could have ever imagined. Now, folks, by way of contrast, let's think of John a moment. Ironically, John had almost drowned three times. Once as a child, when he fell into a well and had to be rescued out and resuscitated... A second time as a 26-year-old man, when he swam in the ocean, the undercurrent got a hold of him and took him out. He had to be rescued. And again at age 32 out on the Mediterranean when the ship he was in almost sank. By age 14, John was gloriously saved. Immediately, he had a burning desire to see others saved and would walk about the streets of his town in Scotland sharing the gospel with whoever would listen. After working three secular jobs, the last being in a paper mill, a local minister there in Scotland put him to work and so began a life of faithfulness in the ministry. At age 33, he and his wife had a baby girl. Just weeks after the baby was born, his wife died. On April 10th, 1912, John boarded the Titanic with his daughter, Nan, now just six years old, along with the family member who had become Nan's caretaker. John Harper was on his way to America to become the pastor, the new pastor of the famous Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. At 11.40 p.m. on the night of April 15, 1912, exactly 100 years ago today, we all know what happened. The Titanic hit an iceberg and sank. Now you'll not hear this in the media. But what I share with you has been confirmed by survivors above the Titanic along with the daughter, Nan. John Harper began appealing to people on board to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved, quoting Acts 16.31. One man outright rejected John's message. John took off his life jacket and said, here then, you're going to end up needing this a whole lot more than me. He put Nan and the caretaker in a lifeboat, kissed Nan goodbye, said, if nothing else, I'll see you one day in heaven. Nan passed away in 1986. Her father began going up to passengers one by one, sharing the gospel with him. When the boat cracked and tilted upward on one side, hundreds and hundreds of people, including John Harper, fell into the icy cold waters of the northern Atlantic. Still, John swam around the passengers sharing the gospel with them. One man treading water said, no thanks. John swam away. Ministering to others, leading people to faith in Christ Ministering to them in their fear and panic and praying with them He swam back over to this gentleman again that he refused him The man said, this time though I listened The Lord spoke to my heart And he said, John Harper led me to faith in Christ John swam off but cramped up Uh, from exhaustion and hypothermia, sank under the water, never to be seen again. Four years later, in 1916, at a gathering of survivors, that man said, I guess I was the very last convert to Christ that John Harper ever had. Today, April 15, 2012, in Scotland, at the Harper Memorial Baptist Church, a church that, Change their name in honor of their beloved pastor. They're celebrating services today, remembering the lives of those lost on the Titanic, but celebrating the witness of their beloved pastor. And Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who's currently the pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, where John was going to be the pastor, He's over there today in Scotland and he's leading those services this morning and tonight. John Harper, a life of no compromise. Samson, a life of compromise. Who are you more like today? Would you stand please? I wonder if there would be somebody here today willing to admit that already the boundaries are beginning to be broken down in your life. They're little compromises that you're already making in your life. I would urge you today, give attention to those before you lose far more than you realize today. It's not worth losing your testimony. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody also that the authority of God's Word, quite frankly, doesn't mean a great deal in your life. Oh, you would tell everybody that it does. But upon examination of your heart, I don't think that would be the testimony of your life. Maybe you need to come to this altar and say, Oh God, put in my heart today a love... For your love letter. A love for the scripture. May I hide it in my heart. As the psalmist said. That I might not sin against God. Is there somebody today that needs to begin your journey with Christ? Make it public. Everybody Jesus called. He called publicly. I'd love to pray with you about that. Or if you're looking for a church home. We'd love to pray with you about that.